0: Welcome back to Beneath the Maze. Happy New Year, and what a year it will inevitably be. Thank you for your patience as I put the podcast aside to complete a very important project. I'd like to share more information about this project, and I will in future episodes. It is almost complete. I do have a website now. It's called beneaththemaze.com, where I have a link to my podcast. I also started a blog, and my most recent blog post, I talked about the new format of the podcast for this year. The focus of the podcast will be around the seven mountains of influence. For those who are unfamiliar, the seven mountains are media, government, education, family, religion, arts and entertainment, and business. At the beginning of each episode, I'll tell you which ones are going to be discussed. I'm also doing a new episode at the end of the month now, and I'm coming out with a new blog post roughly every week. So that's what you guys can expect. Today, I've got a great show for you. We are going to start with government, then get into arts and entertainment, followed by family and education, and finish strong with religion. So without further ado, let's jump right in. As far as the government goes, I had a blog post recently explaining why contrary to what many Republicans are predicting, I believe Biden will be the nominee on the left, despite every poll showing he is going to lose. In that blog post, I said they can't get rid of him without hurting the Democrat ticket at this point. And if they do get rid of him, they surrender incumbent status to Trump, likely giving him a boost. I also said the corrupt regime, which is the Democrat Party. What they hate more than losing is losing unexplainably. I think they are going to try and win with all the levers of power they have. But worst case scenario, they have an explanation for losing. They can just throw Biden under the bus and say Biden wouldn't step down, thus shifting the blame to him rather than admitting it was it was because of all their policies. And how terrible they are. And how terrible the job they did. But that's what I think they're going to do. Is, oh, sorry, we couldn't get Biden to step down. And that's why we lost. Otherwise, we would have won. If we had a good candidate, we would have won. I I encourage you to read that blog post. I want to respond to a point that I believe many of you are making. And that is, if Biden is going to be the nominee, then why prop up Gavin Newsom and Michelle Obama recently? I think this is a great question. My answer is the Democrats still have to prepare for the worst, which is if Biden truly and honestly has a health decline, a major health decline over the next eight months. The last thing they want is to have Kamala Harris in the spotlight and no feasible backup plan. And then see turnout plummet and a massive red wave sweep, sweep the country. Not just in a win for Trump, but also to concede... Several victories in key Senate races across the country. The Democrats need the Senate to keep pumping left-wing judges into the judicial system. I think they are a little more worried about a 55-45 Republican Senate uh, that they cannot win back for decades than they are a second Trump term at this point. They certainly don't want either to happen. The Senate is extremely important especially with Mitch McConnell likely retiring in 2026. Imagine a Ted Cruz or any America first Senate majority leader. (laughs) This is not a future they want to see. And it is very likely going to happen if we have the majority at the top of 2025. Quick touch on the Republican primaries. Congrats to Donald Trump for winning New Hampshire, despite the shenanigans associated with the primary process in that state and the fake Republican governor of New Hampshire endorsing Nikki Haley. Vivek Ramaswamy was a lot of fun to watch on the debate stage, wasn't he? He has a bright future ahead of him. I was glad to see DeSantis step down after Iowa and endorse Trump. That was a smart move for him, and he may be the front runner going into 2028. Now let's switch over to strategy for the upcoming election. Obviously, one of the the hot-button issues is abortion. I've talked about this before, and I feel the need to mention it again. We need to be asking Democrats the question. Put them on, on defense. We need to put them on defense with this question. At what point do you believe a child should have the right to live? The left cannot answer this question. They will not answer it. So after they mumble and dance around it, we need to bring the hammer. This is a fundamentally important question. If we cannot agree on when a person should have the right to live, then in essence, no one has the right to live. Should a five-year-old have the right to live? If a mother said, hey, I meant to abort my five-year-old and I wasn't given access, so I'd like to abort him now. You cool with that? Uh... No, because he's a five-year-old. So what? You can't tell me when you believe rights should begin. Five years old, five minutes old, five seconds old. When should a child have the right to live? If the baby's head is showing but not fully delivered, are you okay with stabbing it in the head? Well, well that doesn't happen. Okay, then let's call it murder. Let's make it illegal to do it. If it doesn't happen, if that truly does not happen and you truly believe that doesn't happen, then you should have no problem making it illegal. Uh, uh. see, you just want to ban abortion. No, no. Flip the question. Flip the talking point. Flip the buzzword BS. Uh, you you just want to ban abortion. Nay. We want consensus on when rights should begin. This is the hill we need to fight on. Why? Because we will crush them on this hill. So I challenge all of you to echo this talking point. I don't care if I get credit for it. I care about taking this country back. So let's do it. Flip the discussion. We want consensus on when a child should have the right to live. If lawmakers cannot agree on when a human should have the right to live, then judges will inevitably not know when to enforce a murder charge. A woman could kill a two-year-old child and just say, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I did not kill the child, I aborted the child. Without consensus on when rights should begin, this is where we are headed. And when, they, and when they ask us the same question backwards, well, I believe a child should have the right to live when it is conceived. Because that's when life begins. A child should have the right to live when it has a life. Crazy theory, huh? Ultimately, we need to put them on defense. Reagan once said, if you're explaining, then you're losing. They say, abortion denier. We say that we believe everyone should have the right to live. Then we ask them, at what point do you believe a child should have the right to live? And watch the fireworks. They'll never answer the question. Then we run attack ads that say, Democrat senator does not believe children have the right to live, should have the right to live, or variations of that. One more quick point on strategy, and then we'll switch gears. The climate change BS. We need to call it the climate crisis hoax. When we say climate change isn't real, they beat us, because we aren't messaging correctly. Most of us, when we say this, what we truly mean is that the crisis associated with climate change is not real. Yes, the climate is changing, but no, the world is not going to end in 10 years if we continue to drill and burn fossil fuels. Climate change is real. Global warming is real. It's the crisis part that isn't real. So call it the climate crisis hoax, and we will win on this issue. Okay, changing gears now to arts and entertainment, the second mountain of influence I'm discussing tonight. I want to talk about kids' movies, which have no male heroes think about all the kids movies you've watched in your life how many of them have had male heroes in it tv shows maybe you'll see it but not movies not so much there are a few very few and most of them are older older movies like Aladdin or Tarzan this, this divide is getting worse I watch movies with my kids regularly Big-name, high-production-value kids' movies. With male heroes, there's next to none. Look at Disney. You won't find anything new that has a male hero or warrior that fights the bad guys. No, on the contrary. You'll have a female character that does this. One of the latest movies is called Raya, and the warrior hero is a girl. I wouldn't mind if it was a 50-50 split, but... It's like 95 to 5 at best. Of course, the underlying message is that women should be the warriors. This was most evident when you look at Disney's acquisition of Star Wars. What is the first thing they did? Episode 7 has a woman as the main character warrior hero. And how did the ratings with Disney's Star Wars trilogy go? Not so well. They do not want men to be empowered in their traditional gender role, nor do they want women to. Very rarely do we see a Disney movie today empowering traditional values of men and women. It's one thing to have a movie that empowers women to lean into their womanhood, like Cinderella, which came out decades ago. It's another to have a movie that encourages women to be warriors, like Raya. They are targeting kids get them while they're young, and force kids into the opposite direction. No wonder we have this boss-babe trend with the younger women in America. Can I get an animated movie that has a man with a sword and shield for my kids? It's not a complicated idea. (laughs) Alright, I'm going to change gears now to the next mountain. This next talk hits both education and family. Mostly family. I'm going to give you a hot take most women shouldn't go to college yeah I know what you're thinking also most men shouldn't go to college but mostly women I'd say if I had to put it on a percentage you know ninety percent of women should not go to college and sixty percent of men should not go to college today unfortunately Most women, the the reason for this is because unfortunately most women who went to college end up having their first kid at age 33, and by 35, they can't have a second one and are stuck wishing they would have started having kids younger and second-guessing their decision to ever go to college. I'm going to break this down for you, but first I have to lay a foundation. We need to talk about parenting, more specifically fatherhood. I have four daughters and one son. I'm the third and I'm 35 years old. I heard on the one Whatever podcast recently. One of the guests on that show said, "I think as fathers, our goal is to keep our sons out of jail and our daughters off the stripper pole. I agree, these are rock bottom. For the sake of conversation, let's agree that these two outcomes is what failure looks like. If your daughter becomes a stripper or gets into porn, you failed as a father. If your son ends up in jail, You failed as a father. Now, if this is how we know we failed as fathers, then what does success look like? If you had to pick one thing, because there's going to be multiple indicators of success, but if you had to pick one thing for your daughters and one for your sons to say, this would be the number one indicator that I succeeded as a father, what would it be? For daughters, my answer is that she is a virgin on her wedding day. Walking a virgin down the aisle, giving away your daughter in a truly white dress, to me, that is success as a father. I'll explain. Ultimately, as parents, we want our children to live a long, joyful life. If I know my daughter is a virgin on her wedding day, I believe that the likelihood of her living a a long, joyful life is extremely high. I believe she will more likely be happily married as a virgin than if she is not. And there are studies to back this up. For a son, success to me is seeing them voluntarily go to church when they are over 18. If your son is voluntarily going to church, you succeeded as a father. Coincidentally, I think these are two of the biggest problems in society today, is that women are not virgins on their wedding day, 85% of brides in the 1920s were virgins on their wedding day, compared to 5% now. And men are not voluntarily going to church. They are leaving their faith. So I think these are the two biggest problems in society today, is women are not virgins on their wedding days, and men are leaving their faith. Now, the reason why I chose this for men is, first of all, men are supposed to be the leaders in a relationship. If men are leading women to church and being the leader in faith from a family perspective, I believe the man will live a long, joyful life. If the man, and soon-to-be father, if, if a father is showing his love for God, his wife and children will follow suit. I truly believe if you put God first, everything else will fall into place. So for me, those are my two indicators of success for raising boys and girls. As fathers, or as parents, And the view from 30,000 feet, if we are giving away virgins to men of faith, all of the problems in this country will vanish overnight. If the women are saving themselves for marriage and the man who is receiving this virtuous bride is, is choosing God, the culture is cured. The corrupt regime falls soon after that, and we take this country back in less than a decade. Game, set, and match. Everything the corrupt regime is doing today in society focuses on preventing this moment. If men are uninterested in God and women are having sex with 10 plus people before marriage, then marriage rates drop, divorce rates climb, childbirth drops, the nuclear family is dead before it begins, family values never get a chance to exist, Just as I highlighted in my live presentation, the numbers are tweaked in the favor of the regime over time. So how do we do this? How do we succeed as fathers, as I just described? Well, how is a good question, but I've already told you one way how. Most women shouldn't go to college. They are just going to have sex with 5-30 to guys over the course of 4 years and enter the marriage market with 60-100k to in student loan debt and a ton of emotional baggage. At that point, they'll feel that they have to work to pay off the debt and thus push back motherhood. They will also be less marketable to men because men will look at marrying a woman with 100k debt as a massive burden to undertake. So both will end up working for 10 years. And just as I stated at the beginning of this segment, Women don't have kids until they're 33 nowadays. And they are left wondering, why in God's name did I go to college? I should have been a mother at age 23. I could have had four kids easily at this stage, but now I can't have one or can't have a second child. Unfortunately, it's too late for these women. Unfortunately, 33 and wishing you started motherhood at 23 is the current state of college-educated millennial women. Every single woman my age, I'm 34, every single woman I know that is my age, including my sisters, people I graduated high school with, this is more or less what happened to them all, virtually all of my wife's friends from college. They are 33 with a ton of debt and one or less kids, unable to have children or struggling to have their second. You may say, this is anecdotal. But I'm willing to bet most millennial mothers, if they could go back in time, all would say they wish they started having kids sooner in life. And then you look at the cause and effect. And sure enough, college and student loan debt was the biggest roadblock hindering them from starting a family earlier in life. Call me a sexist if you want. I'm not saying we should go out there and ban women from going to college. I'm offering advice to you as parents or as future parents or as young adults, I'm offering advice to you so that you can share this in your inner circle. Now I'm going to backtrack a little. You may notice that the two indicators of success I highlighted are opposite of the indicators of failure. Isn't that poetic? As a father of woman, failure is the stripper pole, and success is a virgin on her wedding day. Basically opposite, right? What about men? That's not opposite. <laughs> For men, you failed as a father if your son ends up in prison. I say success is if they voluntarily choose God. Jail is lawlessness. The opposite of lawlessness is a follower of the law. But what law? Man made law? Same man made laws that legalized abortion? No. There's only one law that matters. So in essence, being a follower of the law is the opposite of going to prison. I'm just ensuring that our sons are following the right laws and walking in the right direction by choosing this as the strongest indicator of success as a father of men. God is a perfect segue into my final talk of the night, the mountain of religion. So here we go. Let's pretend that I'm a genie in a bottle. And I'm going to grant you one of two wishes. A bottomless pit of money that you can tap into at any time. Or a bottomless pit of joy that you can tap into at any time. Which would you choose and why? See, here is the fundamental problem with society today in America. A lot of people are taking the money without even thinking about it. You see this in the porn industry and the evolve of OnlyFans. The sole reason you even seek money is for joy. Every single person listening to this across the globe is looking for the same thing. We all want to be happy. We want to be in a more joyful situation or we want to maintain the joyful state that we are currently in. This is why I said in earlier episodes, joy is the ultimate measure of success because money can't always buy you joy. If your mom dies, your son, spouse, or friend, money won't lift you out of that situation, but joy will. And of course, Jesus Christ is the fullness of joy. What can I say? If you know, you know. And if you're laughing right now or want to turn this off because I said that, go right ahead. You want to better your life? I gave you the answer. You don't like the answer? Then by all means, keep doing what you're doing. People ask, how do I do better in life? How do I find success? The answer is Jesus Christ. You don't like that answer? Well, guess what? Those who seek success, looking for answers, often don't like the answers they get. Listen to the Dave Ramsey show. The people who call in are all in financial nightmares. He often tells them, well, you need to sell the truck and live like you're broke because you are broke. People hate that answer. Well, the answer is not always what you want to hear. That's life. Picture a person who seeks relationship advice, says his girlfriend has been hanging out with this guy at work a lot, wants to know what he should do. And maybe I give him advice after investigating. I find out the girl's cheating, call him up and say, hey man, Your girlfriend's cheating on you. Break up with her. It's probably not what he wants to hear, right? But it's the truth. He can deny it. He can turn the page. He can call me a liar. The truth isn't always pleasant. It isn't always what you want to hear. But it's the truth nonetheless. So to those of you who choose the bottomless pit of money and still stand by that decision, don't come crying to the genie when you realize money can't and won't fill the void. Joy is the ultimate measure of success And Jesus Christ is the fullness of joy. Go to church, read the Bible, follow Jesus Christ, and you don't need the genie granting you a bottomless pit of joy because you'll have it. What's truly amazing is when you get to this point in life, like I said, I'm 34 years old, father of five, follower of Jesus. I think what's truly remarkable and horrifying at the same time is just pausing for a moment and looking around at the people who do not have God in their life and seeing how difficult their life seems to be. I have a friend who's 40 with two kids going through a divorce. Another friend with one kid who is having a ton of financial struggles. Another couple with one kid who, despite trying for years, cannot conceive a second child. I have an extended family member who is 30, dating and living with a guy for 10 years, Not engaged, and probably never will be. Another family member who has a stepson and doesn't treat him as his own. Another family member who is trans. And another who is gay. One is a single mother. I've got another friend addicted to drugs, single and lonely, at age 35. I don't mean to put these people down, only to highlight one significant similarity between all of them. None are followers of Christ. Zero. Then I look over my right shoulder at the people who are true followers of Jesus. Night and day difference. No divorce. No noticeable financial issues. Most, if not all, are happily married with kids. No broken homes. No issues conceiving children. No transgenders. No one who is gay. You think this is all by accident? What do you want from me? I gave you the answer. Jesus Christ. You don't like the answer? That's probably because it's the truth. And maybe deep down you know it to be the truth. A famous line from Star Wars comes to mind. From the f- episode 4, If money is all that you love, then that's what you'll receive. If you take money, if money is what you seek, then that's what you get. Walk out the door. You do not get joy. You get the money. So take it. And I won't see you at the end of the straight and narrow path because you won't be there. You'll be consumed by society like so many of my family and friends who think they can walk through life without God and thrive on the journey. Good luck, my friend. Keep doing what you've been doing. But isn't that the definition of an insane person? Someone who keeps doing the same thing and expects different results? It is by the grace of God Almighty that I am talking to you tonight. Do you need more proof? How do I know God is real? Well, listen to Fear in the Mist, my podcast episode. Dives right into that. It's my logical proof of God's existence. In summary, why do we know good and evil? Why do we know murder is wrong? We have this unique ability, but we do not know why. We have eyes so that we can see, ears to hear, but why do we have the knowledge of right and wrong? The only logical conclusion is that we are being judged. Otherwise, there is no reason to have this ability. Case in point. And some of you may say, Well, other people have made it without God, so I'll just be one of them. Have they, though? Tom Brady, widely known as the greatest quarterback ever. Six Super Bowl rings and married to one of the most beautiful women there is. This is it, right? He's got it. Non-religious guy, he made it. He's at the top. Married with kids and six Super Bowl rings, rich, famous. Wait a minute. He's no longer married, though, right? Yeah, they got divorced. How does that happen? You have to wonder. You have to wonder. Ironically, when he had three Super Bowl rings, he was interviewed, I believe, on 60 Minutes. And during the interview, he said, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? and still think there's something greater out there for me. There's got to be more than this. I want you to listen to this song by U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And in that song, the same sentiment Tom Bray expresses in his interview is expressed. I have climbed the highest mountain, scaled the city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So many of us have achieved great accomplishments in our life and felt the same way every time. Now what? What else? Especially without God, we feel this way. Sadly, Tom Brady, I don't believe he ever found God. And even with all the achievements he's had in his life, the man is now lost. Rich, famous, but lost. He clinged to money. He clinged to fame. He clinged to football to relevance, and of course, none of these are God Almighty, and everything put before God will fail you in the end. There is only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of the principles I live by is give credit where it's due. So, that's what I'm doing. It is by the grace of God Almighty that I am in a position to have this podcast, So I'll live by my principle and give credit to God. And with that, I'm calling it an episode. Thank you for your support. I'll see you at the end of February.